my name is Corey Bendix. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is really good to be here. Um, I, I couldn't be more excited to navigate this, this series with you. Um, we're all in the midst. Uh, no matter where you are in life, if you are, have been married like I have for almost 20 years, or if you are single and you're trying to figure out life right now, or if you are working through some challenges when it comes to friendships, we all are in the middle of contending for this idea of relationships that are rooted in something firm and strong. What does it look like to grow and flourish in our relationships? What does that mean? And this week, this month, that's really what we're going to do. And the, the, the goal here is not just tips and tools. Please hear that. Uh, that's not what we're trying to accomplish with this. We're trying to give you hope and point you to the hope giver and allow you to be refreshed and even have some practical tools and even some ideas and even a focus on Jesus that you can hand off to people who you know are really challenged uh, when it comes to this idea of relationships. And so each week, we're going to talk about a different theme, marriage, we're going to talk about singleness, and we're going to talk about friendship. But today, what we're going to do is talk about what does it look like to have a love that undergirds all of those uh, aspects of relationships. So if, if you could turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, uh, we're going to go 1 John 4, 7 to 11. But before we get there, I just want you to know um, I have a pretty serious problem. Um, and here's what my problem is. Uh, I love cutting down trees. I know that sounds weird, and many of you are going, bro, that's, if that's your problem, you got way more problems than just that. And I, you're probably right, but I love, for whatever reason, I love cutting down trees, and it's proven to the fact that my wife has given me a 60-day ban on cutting trees. And that's serious. Uh, I, I, I have moved to Warrington, which um, is... God's country, it's, it's a little bit out there, uh, but I have about an acre land kind of plot. I call it my plot of land, and uh, it's really not that at all. Um, but over the last year and some change, I've, I've uh, found myself kind of gravitating towards cutting down trees and, and uh, you know, curating firewood. And, and so I've, I think I've cut down 20 trees in the last year or so. Um, and so because of the fact that my wife has put me on a 60-day ban and I just got my hands on a brand new chainsaw, I am longing to find some places to use this thing. And so I, I, I had to go next door to a neighbor. He's 23 and he's got a, a, a property that needs some love. And um, so I just, I just included him in my challenge of, hey, man, I want to use this chainsaw. Uh, my wife has cut me off. I need your help. Can you please allow me to just go crazy on your property? And he actually said yes. He said yes. And so I, I was like starting to check out his, uh, his, his property. And he's got pine trees, like a lot of them. And they're beautiful. They're, it's just they're 60 feet tall and they are just gorgeous. They have a unique smell. I, I love them. But here's what I'm finding with his, his property. He has a graveyard, pine trees. I don't know if you can see here. What, what happens with these pine trees is they, they, they get so tall and the places that they were planted in, the soil is so bad, it can't hold this beautiful tree and so it ends up toppling over, right? And, and so it topples over from the roots up. And what he has, he has a whole entire landscape of, it's a graveyard of trees, all because they were planted 
into horrible soil. And when you think about love in our culture, the soil that all of us are steeped in, it is a soil that is producing a graveyard of lives. And, and when you, when you, when you know, you're hear, hearing me say a great, like a soil, Corey, what soil are you talking about? Let me just kind of give you a few pieces, aspects of the soil. Um, it's a hallmark idealism, right? That the hallmark is just, and at least in my house, it is, it is going strong. Uh, the force is big in our house when it comes to hallmark. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just this idealistic view of love. Love is, it's going to have some bumps and, and bruises along the way, but it's always going to end up great. And we're all going to be smiling and you're going to end up being with someone that is just really beautiful. Ryan Gosling uh, charm. Um, a, a side of follow your heart. That's definitely in the soil of where we are. If, that you, you, you can kind of go where you want, do what you want, as long as your heart is leading you there. And no one should tell you that your heart isn't guiding you where you're supposed to go. A pinch of love is a feeling. Guided uh, and endured by emotional and physical experiences. That everything about the soil that we're in is ultimately it comes back to what I feel, what I think, what I want. I am in control of the love that I'm creating and it is the soil that we're all living in and it's, it's producing a graveyard of lives. And then, then this, here recently there's been a real focus on love is love. That, that this is really, this is really code. This is code for uh, that, that I can create a version of love that suits me and you are unable to say anything about it. And if you do, it's tyrannical and judgmental. That love is love is now authenticating a lifestyle that I can go in and out of whatever experience I want and that is my version of love, and no one can tell me anything different. What is it producing? It's produced a life, lifestyle, a culture, where love is hollowed out, the word is. It becomes a junk drawer word. That everything that you can possibly imagine is thrown into this enormous junk drawer that we have identified as love. I love chips, I love the Boston Bruins, and I love my wife, I love. But it's, it's hollowed out, it, that it's, it's empty. And now what, what's, what's happening is that we live in a culture that is searching for something more. And then ironically, what's happened is that this idea of, of, of just a love that we create, that we formulate, that we format, it's, it's seeped even into, into the church. Is that there's, there's something called a cognitive dissonance, this, this, um, this, this kind of philosophical approach where you can have two opposing worlds living underneath the umbrella of the same life. That for many of us, even in the church, we, we love Jesus, we honor him, we are, are identifying him as our king, but then when it, when, when it really comes down to it and the pressure hits, what we do is we define what we want love to be, who we want to love, and how we want to love them. It's as if we're living in two opposite worlds at the same time. That this soil has, is sweeping away really most of, of what we see as 
uh, as the culture that we live in. And so the question is, is there another way? Is there a soil that we can be rooted in that's firm, that's life-giving, that's enduring, that now allows for our life as big as we get to be held even in the midst of winds, the winds of, of challenge and health problems, the winds of, of emotions that may go away for a season, and yet in the midst of all of the winds and, 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 and all of the pressures in life, is it, possible, is it possible to be rooted in something of real substance that allows for our life not to be toppled over? So what does it look like to live in this type of soil? What's it going to take? Who's going to author this? How do we get into it? And in 1 John, John is guiding us into this understanding of what it means to dive into a world of love. Love that is defined for us, love that is proven and shown with clarity. And, and what, what John is doing, John in 1 John is writing to a region of churches in Ephesus, a whole collection of churches that are in the midst of a lot of cultural challenge and turmoil, a lot of pressures, a lot of options to love, a lot of di- different things in the same way that we find ourselves here in D.C. And what he does is he's trying to introduce these churches to the one that was his best friend, namely Jesus. And he's wanting to prove to them that this Jesus is worth your love. He's worth your life. That he created you to love him and to be loved by him. And so in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, let's read it. This is what it says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What, what, what John is doing is John is, is putting on a divine pair of glasses onto this church to help them see a topic that they have never seen cl- clearly before. Is that he's, he's helping them understand and now come into with clarity what it looks like to love in the midst of a culture that is, is wooing them away. And in the, in the same way that my son, when he was about 10 months old, he was rolling, he was, he was um, uh, really not advancing in his uh, crawling and walking like most kids did. He, he didn't crawl as much as he rolled from one place to another. Uh, that that he, he, was, he was having a tough time standing up. He would get a little bit unbalanced, he would fall over. And his eyes were crossing. And so we took him to an ophthalmologist. And this ophthalmologist put a pair of glasses on my son. And within a moment, within a moment, his world came alive. That he saw, he saw uh, a, an existence that he never thought was even possible. That it introduced him to a world that now gave him the courage and the strength and the balance to be able to take uh, steps both in crawling as well as in walking. Within a couple of weeks, he went from rolling to, to walking. And what, what John is doing in this chapter, through the repetition of the word love, he uses it 30 times in one chapter. 
And he's wanting to, to place with repetition the glasses of God's love on this church so that they can go from uh, a, a, a lifestyle of crawling and rolling to one of advancing, walking, and growth. And, and, he, and he uses this idea of repetition. He uses love again and again and again. It reminded me of in, in the world of advertising, uh, there's this strategy, two phases of advertising that involve repetition. And the first phase is to wear in. The second phase is to wear out. But what they do, the wear in phase, is all about repeating something to the point that they are so reminded of a topic or of a product that now they transition into the second phase, the wear out, where now it's easy to begin to apply what has been presented in a way where it's now accepted. And what John is doing is he's repeating this theme of, and he's wearing the church in so that, that he can now wear them out in that they can understand and come into a relationship with Jesus and be able to now extend that love that's been given in a way that's healthy. And what, what John does is he begins in a place that I personally am so thankful for. Is that he begins with this word beloved. Verse 7. He says, beloved, and he uses it in verse 7, and then he uses it again in verse 11. Why would he start with this declaration that you are loved? It's not just, just a, a, a kind phrase. It is a term of identity. He says, church, you're loved. Not because of anything you've done. It has everything to do with what God and Christ has done for you. And what he's doing here is he's, Beginning with identity. He's beginning with identity because, because most of us, when we think about love, we think about our own uh, unwillingness to receive it because we don't think we're lovable. For many of us, we, our shame prevents us from loving. Or for some of us, our, our guilt or, or our, our, our struggles in certain ways or in the way in which people have loved us, it's marked us and so it's hard for us to give it away. And yet, this is exactly who is involved in this church in Ephesus, of those who are having a tough time receiving love and ultimately giving it out because of the, the background, the, the things that they bring to the table. Like all of us, we bring things to the table and yet God's declaration to you if you have a relationship with him is that you are beloved. Your identity is firmly placed in not your love for God, but God's love in Christ for you. This is the starting place for how we can understand love right. What does it look like to begin to consider just a, a background and a play-by-play -play on love? It begins with the fact that you are loved. And what I love about this is that not only is this word, the beloved, it's, it really is a throwback to Mark chapter 1 and the baptism of Jesus. That what I believe John is doing is he's, he's pulling back to what Jesus received from the Father. A, de a declaration of you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. This is what Jesus receives from the Father long before he did any miracles, long before he did any feeding of the 5,000. He hadn't healed anyone. Lazarus had not been raised from the dead. Long before the actions came a moment of declaration and identity, Jesus was dearly loved. You are beloved, accepted, affirmed. This is what God gives to the son 
And because we are found in the Son, this is what God gives to you and I. This is where we have to start. You are loved. You're loved. And it's so hard for us to hear, but we've got to begin at the foundation of who God says that you are. And then, it, and then what, what John does is he moves from this place of, de- of declaring who we are, and now he talks about who authors this idea of love. This is what he says. Love is from God. Seems simple. What this is saying is that love begins with God, not with me. We have to understand that this is so vital that we wrap our arms around the fact that God has a game plan and an infrastructure of love. And when I begin with God, I begin with a healthy approach to to a, a lifestyle where I can be rooted in soil that will last. But what we do is we pick up the tree of being rooted in Christ and what we do is, is allowing for God to define love. We want to define it ourselves. We want to be the author of our love. We want to, to tell ourselves and tell the world who we love, how we love them, when we love them. And yet what God does is he begins with himself. He is the author of love. And it really goes back to the Trinity. This, this beautiful relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. This ecosystem of love. We're flowing out of this divine union is acceptance, endurance, affirmation, uh, humility, long-suffering, preferring, willing to now self-give, not absorb. This is a union that we were, that, 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 that the Godhead had amongst themselves, and it was so good, they said, we've got to include others in it. And so then comes the creation of you and I. And we were made to be inserted into what C.S. Lewis calls the divine dance. This is what he says. God is dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The union between the Father and the Son is such a live, concrete thing that this union itself is also a person. It is as if a sort of communal personality came into existence, that you and I were made to be included in the dance, but as a result of our own rebellion, we resisted God because we wanted to become like God. We wanted to, as, as Burger King says, we wanted to have it our own way. That is the heartbeat of what sin is. And yet even in the midst of us rebelling from the, the identity that we were made for, inclusion in this divine dance, guess what God is doing? God continues to pursue his people in the Old Testament with with, with love. In fact, the type of description that God is described with, everlasting love, is a type of, of, of word that no one had really known understood this is it's 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 a a hebrew word chesed it's god's loyal love it's it's a combination of love generosity and enduring commitment you 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 what's fascinating is that 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 the world that we lived in even thousands of years ago had a certain type of love that was self-serving and what god does is he enters into the story and he presents a type of commitment and consideration and loyalty that was extended even when it wasn't uh, reciprocated. 
And so what you have in God is one who is constantly giving, even though all he's receiving is, is rejection. In fact, Hosea said, the hesed of Israel is like a dew in the morning. It's there, but then it leaves. This is the human story. We don't respond to God in the way that he responds to us. And guess what God's response is? He continues to love. He continues to love. In fact, in the New Testament, this word agape, did you realize that word didn't exist? And like, it, it, was, it was simply a synonym to describe phileo love. That it was a throwaway word. That it had no meaning. But then when the New Testament writers began writing and they began writing about God's love in Christ and this love that was selfless, was self-giving. It, it, was, it was loving the loveless, the unlovable. That, that they had to use a word and so guess what? They created agape. God literally is the one who authors love. He authored love. He authored the word love. And because of the fact that he authored it, why, why do you and I feel like we have to dismiss what he has designed us for to create our own version of love and live in it, knowing that it is going to produce soil that is going to cause our life to be toppled over? That this, we were made for this enduring love. And then what John does, John continues to move forward. And this is what he says about, he, so, so we... We're, we're, we're made as beloved. That when we come into faith in Jesus Christ, we are called beloved. We are loved. We're accepted. Nothing can shake that. This is our design. And then that, that God is the author of love. And we're made to be, be included in this divine dance. And then love has appeared. I love this. Love, the love of God was made manifest. That the love of God appeared that see what God is doing, he's trying to, to prove that, that, that my love for you is greater than anything that you could possibly imagine. And ultimately, it's what you're made for. But like a father who is taking his son and, and, and introducing him to something that he, he's never seen before but really needs, is that he's patiently pointing him to exactly what this is and then introducing them to it and then beginning to try to kind of direct and guide to ensure that the son falls in love with whatever it is that the father is trying to introduce. And this is what God is doing in the sending of son, is that he's trying to help us understand, see, feel, touch what we were made for. And it's found in Jesus. And it says that he came in grace and truth, full of grace and truth. And you're like, man, what does that even mean? Well, like, if I have something wrong with my Honda, I don't, I don't want someone to throw... Uh, a, a, a Honda book, a mechanical book at me, I want someone to embody that book in the form of a mechanic, right? It's grace and truth. If I'm sick, I don't want someone to throw me a couple of, of websites that has to do with, with my health or something wrong with my intestines. I want somebody to embody truth in the form of a doctor, right? If I am in legal uh, problems and something happens, I get pulled over. I don't want penal codes. Don't throw me a book with a bunch of codes. Somebody needs to embody those codes in the form of a lawyer, right? That this is what it means to have both grace and truth, is that it's the, it is the truth of both the problem and the solution embodied in a person. 
And this is what God has done in Christ, introducing us to the love that we're made for. Grace and truth. And guess what Jesus does? Jesus comes and he holds out life. He holds out life. Everything about the son, that the love that we receive is all love built on life. And let me, let me just say, all, you can tell if you have a rooted love in the right soil if it's producing life. Is it, here's here's, here's what, what we find. That first, that John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 4, 14. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it to the full. That we were made to receive life and ultimately give it. But do you know that you can actually be alive but not giving life? You, 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 you can be alive but not really alive. Like what's beautiful about the way that God created our, our, our just the earth around us as well as you, you and I is that there's something called common grace. That we can, I can enjoy like a normal person can enjoy a great steak and cab. A, a normal person can enjoy, can, can go to, to a, a sunset and just, just be amazed at the sun coming down. That you can go to a hospital and, and be overwhelmed with emotion at, the, at, a, at the, a newborn baby. And, and if a person isn't finding life in Christ, all of those things end in themselves. But a person who's come into faith, into life in Jesus, all of those pleasures, all of those great experiences, they roll back to worship of the one who gave them. So to be alive is to enjoy a steak and to be amazed the flavors. And the fact that, that these, this gift is now pointing me back to a great giver. The gift is connecting me to the giver, allowing me to enjoy the steak and enjoy the creator. I have life. This is what it means for us to be alive. But for, for people who don't have faith in Jesus Christ there, that all they have is pleasures. All they have is emotions. All they have is experiences. And those experiences end in themselves. But what we're told here is that love brings things to life. That we were made to have life. That now we can have a life that is found in Christ. We can enjoy the world we can enjoy our relationships. We can enjoy it and find, find all of these things pointing us back to a really great giver. Like this is what it means to be a loved being. We're made, we're created to be, to express love, to worship, to find excitement, to find our joy, our satisfaction in both the creator and the created. This is what we're made for. The question is, what are you worshiping? Are you alive? Is the love that you're receiving from Jesus, is that which you are now extending to others and beginning to bring life? And so what John does is that John, he continues. And this is, this is going to be a verse that is, for a lot of us, we've never sat down and thought about what this word actually means, but we're going to do that right now. In verse 10, again, he's talking about defining love, right? And this is the love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What's he saying? That love, that, that God emptied himself of his son. His son emptied himself of his life for those that hated him. That what he's saying is that this love that the father gives to you and I through this, 
this, this wrath-appeasing sacrifice called the Son, that this love is costly. What we need to walk away with is that love sacrifices. Love sacrifices. Because for many of us, when we think about the love of the Father, it's often a Peter Panish type of love. That he just, he, he's, he's just waiting to give us love, and he doesn't really care what we do with it. We can define it the way that we want it. We can live how we want to. So often, the love of the Father isn't seen full circle with this idea that he hates sin. He hates it. He hates it. He opposes it. He can't be around it. And you, for anyone who's had a child, you, you have a love in, inside of you that is also has um, the potential for wrath. That if someone comes into my house, my love now produces wrath where I'm going to guard and protect what I love. And what, what we have in, in Christ is we have the satisfaction of God's wrath towards sin. The sin that is, is now it lived in you and I. That, that, that God hates it and he, he's willing to give his very best, his son, to now offer that as a sacrifice. Jesus becomes the sacrifice that now takes uh, his enemies, namely you and me, those who hated him, and the son dies for those who hated him that we might now be reunited with the love of the father. God's love, it sacrifices. What this means for you and I is that our love should be established upon the foundation that love is willing to sacrifice. It sacrifices. It, it, it's will, it goes places that, that it usually shouldn't. It's willing to give patience when everything in you wants to just begin to cut off and walk away. That what we find in Hebrews chapter 12, 29, is God's love is a consuming fire. So what that means is that when we think about a fire, a fire both warms and brings life, but it also burns to protect, like when it comes to the cauterizing of an infection, you burn it to stop the bleeding, but it also molds and it shapes. And for many of us, we love the love of the Father that brings life, that brings heat, that brings warmth, that gives us emo emotions of his love towards us. But his love is simultaneously, it's forming you and I. It's shaping you and I. And it, 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 it's allowed to do that because of the sacrifice that God gave through his son to you and I. Uh, we, uh, our, our family has close friends who, who, who um, went through the process of adoption, and they actually adopted twice. And to, from a distance, watch these, these kids go through this season where they hated the one that adopted them. And, and then to watch the mom and dad hold out acceptance, patience, flexibility, just constantly coming back, even though it hurt, even though it was challenging, even though it, 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 was, it pained them to, to continually extend love and acceptance while it was, it was responded with, with rejection and hatred. And guys, this, this, is, this is what the love of the Father is to you and I, that it is held out to those that hated him. But at the same time, this love hates sin. 
And it should now build up a fresh perspective that God's love now wants to form me and shape me, not so that I can do what I want to do, but so that I begin to do what I'm made to do. And this, this brings us back to this. What we were made for is to be in the divine dance. And then John, what he does is he concludes it with this. As a result of what we've been given, he, he's, he's going into detail with how God in Christ has loved us. He's defining what love is. He's defining what love looks like in Jesus Christ. He's defining that we are loved, not because of what we've done. He's, he's defining all of that. But now what we find is that love, it, it doesn't just end with us. Is that love, it begins to spread. Love has to be extended Love has to be now held out. And how John, he concludes in verse 11. This is what he says. Beloved, if if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We have this invitation now as a result of everything that we've been given. We've been given a love that now is, it, it defines us. That is not about how we love God. It's about how he's loved us. That we're told that love looks a certain way. It looks like Jesus. That love costs Love sacrifices. And now that love given to us should never stop with you and I. But now it's almost like an extension cord from God the Father to us for us to be a cross-shaped people. A cross-shaped people. What gives you the, the strength and the courage to love a wife that is disconnected? Just You've been going through months and months where you just don't feel like she's in it with you. What's going to give you the courage and the strength and the endurance to keep coming back? For some of us, we're in the middle of singleness and we don't know what it looks like to to walk in a world and extend love to a world that just, we just feel constantly rejected. We need the energy and the strength and the power to hold out life. See, all of the way that we were designed to live all comes from the Father, but now it is our privilege to begin to to be that, a people who were cross-shaped and are holding out life with, with those that are desperate to find it in your home, in your singleness, in your marriage. Church, this is what we were designed for. That, that, that at, at, at the heart of all of us, we are, are longing to have roots that go down deep into a soil, a foundation that is bigger than ourself. That we don't want to define our own love. We want love to be defined for us. We need someone to help us. And this, these texts walk us through what we were made for. I'll end with the story. Um, long time ago, uh, we were in... Orlando, Florida, and our kids, it was hot outside, and our kids really wanted to do a, a water gun fight, and, and so they began to gather all of the little uh, guns that, that they had, and they started going after each other, and within five minutes, it was done because of the fact that, that these guns were, you know, just, there wasn't much to them. They didn't have a lot of water, and so they just decided, you know what, let's get some buckets, and they kind of graduated from guns to buckets, and they began to, to fill up these buckets and pour them on each other. And that went on for a little while, and then it kind of calmed down. But then all of a sudden, I heard some screaming. And I came out, and my son Zachary, had he forgot the buckets. Who cares about the buckets? Who cares about the guns? He went to, to the water hose. And he's just sitting there with a smile on his face, and he's just crushing it. With, I mean, all these kids, they, they can't touch him. 
because he's got the source. And I'm like, bro, what are you doing? And his response, at least the way that I remember his response, because it fits really well here, is that he who has the source wins. He had the source, and as a result of the source, it allowed for him to win the game. You and I, we have the source of love. Source that allows for our roots to go down deep. A source that will be unshakable, will never expire. A source that deep down inside we're really longing for. And, and what we have in the source, for, as we receive a relationship uh, when it comes to the king and understanding his love for us, receiving it, being grounded in it, now we can begin to give that to those that really don't deserve it. You see, this is what, what we're made for. Not just to have tips and, tra- and tricks and, and tools that allow for us to, to do love and to extend love. That will go so far. But we need to have the source. And the reason that so many are toppling is because they don't have the source. And because they don't have the source, their roots can't go deep. Church, this is our moment. In the midst of the pressure that we feel, this is our moment to put our roots in the source. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you that this is a month, a moment for us to to reconnect in the love of Jesus, who you are, whose we are. And Lord, we want to freshly not just surrender, but Lord, we want to, to allow for the waters of your love to wash over us freshly. Lord, we want to be rooted in the ecosystem of the of the divine dance. Lord, this is what, what we're made for. A love that we receive, a love that we give, a love that we receive, a love that we give, and this endless cycle just continues.